Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking about how to save like the wealthy. We're your host, Rachel and Bruce. Welcome to the show today, Bruce. Hey, Rachel. It's uh, it's really exciting now that uh, we're doing a podcast after our podcasts have been released to the public. And uh, we're actually somebody now because we're on iTunes. Um, Woohoo. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Yeah. And the and why I what I uh, why I say it's actually nice to do a podcast after that is because I've been getting some great feedback from some of our listeners about the podcast, and I think it shows that at least some people are finding some value in that that they that they feel like hey I want to I want to give you some feedback because I'd like to continue listening and they care enough to uh, give us some feedback. So um, a couple of the things that uh, I heard from listeners was that they were a little confused because we are trying to focus on business owners' lives. And one of the things that um, they said, now you talk about business owners and entrepreneurs, and I don't really understand the difference. And uh, so I thought I'd clarify that for listeners right now, is one of the things that we believe is that a lot of people have that spirit to actually build something for their own and add value in people's lives. And that's all that a business is, is, they, is people find something that they think they can add value in a person's life, and then they exchange that value for either other value, which is called bartering, or they exchange it for money. And that's why most businesses run, they exchange for money. Um, but unfortunately, people don't think this through very well a lot of times, and they think starting a business is a lot easier than um, it, it really is. And what they end up doing, and I, I've said this uh, before, is they've actually bought themselves a job. And unfortunately, they bought themselves a job when they're probably the lowest paid employee at the job, especially for the, the first three to five years. Um, and this is, mm-hmm. this is different because what ends up happening is they get into this rat race. They, they don't necessarily know what they're doing. They're trying to save money. They're not they're not actually um, farming out some of the things they should be farming out to other uh, people, such as sales, uh, operations, uh, bookkeeping could be a big thing, tax preparation, payroll, so on and so forth. And they get uh, all consumed about that. And what ends up happening is even if they build uh, what we would call a successful business that would end up having, having cash flow and maybe a uh, actually building the cash flow up to where the owner now has even he is he or she is actually the highest paid employee the the uh the energy it takes to do that they actually get to a point where they want to get out of the business and mm-hmm. they haven't built a self sustaining business so an entrepreneur on the other hand i think what they do either from the very beginning or they make an adjustment once once they start or or buy the business is they decide to themselves that they are going to build a self-sustaining business. They're going to put processes in place and people in place so that they can spend time innovating and changing their business 
so that it is not susceptible to uh, creative destruction or it's not success, uh, success, susceptible to uh, competition. And that can be done on uh, a couple different ways. One is they can innovate and reinvent themselves constantly, or they can add, continue to add new services. They also can take time to think and train themselves to maybe buy other businesses so that they, they, they lower their risk for the current business that they are in. When this happens, they've actually build, built a self-sustaining business that they don't have to work in, they only have to work on. And when I talk to entrepreneurs, I say, what's, what's odd is business owners, what I would consider business owners, people that are working in their business and are so frustrated because they're working really hard. And even if they are successful, they just want out. Because they are the main person that has built their business and everything relies upon them, when they go to sell to somebody, their business is actually worth less because people know that when they're buying that business, they have to be in that business constantly. So, mm-hmm. so they, it's not really open to a lot of potential buyers who just want to buy a business that's self-sustaining. So if you build a self-sustaining business, the ironic thing about it is you can actually get out of the business and sell it a lot easier and faster and get into this concept that I just abhor, which is retirement. But if that's what a person wants to do, that's what a person <laughs> wants to do. So I thought I'd clear that up for our listeners. And, yeah. and, then, they get, and then the final thing is people- yeah, Bruce, I wanted to share as well. So what I'm kind of hearing the difference of, this is a way that helps me visually understand it. And and I w- I'd like your feedback on this, but Robert Kiyosaki talks about the cash flow quadrant. He talks about on the left-hand side, you have employees and the self-employed. Mm-hmm. On the right side, you have business owners, which he's calling business owners there, and the investor. The differentiation for him was on the left side, you have people who are working for money. And on the right side, money's working for you. So while his terms are different, if we apply that to the same thing, what we're essentially saying that I'm hearing here is the person who's in that business owner mindset, it's a mindset difference. The business owner mindset is somebody who's working for money. They just do it in the form of running a business, but they're really self-employed and everything rests on their own shoulders. The shift then to becoming entrepreneurial is to build a business that produces income for you and you're not the key element in your business. That's that's a great visualization. Yes. Okay, awesome. I just wanted to make sure that maybe that would help bring some clarity to what we're explaining right. there. Right. And and then the final thing just just for quick clarification some of the comments were, well, it sounds like you're talking to individuals, not just business owners and, and entre- entrepreneurs. And I say, well, yes, and I can see that after I went back and listened to our podcast. And that's because I don't really believe you dif- differentiate between your personal life and your business life. And actually, I think it should become one. Uh, life, mm-hmm. p- life uh, business balance, a lot of people talk about. I, if you build a successful business in an entrepreneurial way, um, you do already have balance in your life. So your life is a combination of your life and business anyway. You shouldn't differentiate from it. And the other thing, the, the final point before we get into the savings component today is if more individuals, even if they didn't own a business or didn't think 
uh, entrepreneurial, if they would start to think entrepreneurial or business-like, where they they know their personal economy is about money coming in or accounts receivable and money going out as accounts payable, and that they try to build an opportunity fund or a savings account so that they can take advantage of opportunities or downsides in the economy, just like in a successful business owner has a reserve fund to take care mm-hmm. of down things in the economy, or they have an opportunity fund to actually take advantage of things that come their way. Personal economy should be, in my um, estimation, be run more like a business economy. So that's why there's probably a little bit of a blurred line. So I, I just wanted to clear that up for our listeners. And it's nice now that we can yes. just get into what I just said about how uh, savings is kind of a, a backbone of how you run either your business or your personal economy. Yes. And as we're talking about savings, we want to save like the wealthy, not only in our business, but also in our personal life. And these same principles that apply in our personal economy also apply in our business. And when we think of it as one big picture, we can maximize all of our money, not just the business side and not just the personal side. So I want to share with you how saving is very, very much like preparation and conditioning. Now, we might see that investing or making a lot of money in an investment is like a flashy event. It's the thing that we get all revved up about. But unless you have the proper conditioning and preparation, you're not able to accomplish that. I'm going to bring it down to a personal story that will make a lot more sense in what I'm talking about. So I did barrel racing on horseback when I was in my teenage years from about 14 to 16. And I think that building a financial system is very much like barrel racing. They both take a lot of time, a lot of preparation, and a lot of conditioning. So barrel racing itself, that event in the ring was extremely high adrenaline. There's this huge rush of excitement. There's crowds cheering. You're flying very fast at the barrels. There's dirt flying everywhere. It's very, very exciting. And it really lasts about 28 seconds Mm -hmm. or so, depending on the size of the pattern. Now, all of that energy goes into those 28 seconds. It's what everyone actually sees. But what creates the ability to win there is all of the time that you spend together with your horse. We rode for hours and hours and hours just conditioning, spending time, working on little fine-tuned details of paying attention to how I moved the reins and how I shifted my body weight and how I was able to get her to change leads just by shifting my weight. We had a lot of time that we spent building that communication between myself and my horse, Lacey. Mm -hmm. And because of that, the event in the ring was able to be successful. Now, when we apply that back to finance, if we only look at the big events where we make a lot of money and we don't think about the the preparation and preparedness needed for that, We really shoot ourselves in the foot. And so while it's not the most exciting part, what we really want to do is dig into how savings is that preparation for opportunity and for success. So right now we're in the middle of a series on savings. We started with why the wealthy love cash parts one and two and really gave some reasons why it's important to save. So things like creating confidence and having peace of mind to be able to really be safe and sound in your personal economy to sleep better at night, and having the liquidity to jump at opportunities. 
after today, we're following that path of starting with why. Today, we're talking about how. And then after that, we're going to dig into the what. What exactly is savings? How do we differentiate that between savings and investing? What is the definition? And how do we know if something truly is savings or not? But today, we're really digging into the how, how to save. So we want to help you design a system for managing cash that puts, that builds savings and puts you in control, a way that works for you in your personal and your business economy. It's something that's most productive and effective. It's an automated system. It's not something that happens if it happens. It's something that you can count on. It's that preparation system. And so today we're going to cover the principles and theories about how to save and then also what it looks like, the steps and strategy that you can take for the flow of your money in your own life through your accounts to make this happen for you. So let's go ahead and start by talking about some of the things that we need to overcome in order to save. So there's something called Parkinson's law. And really this is that expenses will rise to meet income. I'm sure you've seen it in your own life where you thought, I'm just going to get that raise, or I'm just going to have that tax return at the end of the year, and I'm going to save that money. But we inadvertently always find something that we need now that we have the extra money, and we end up spending most of what we make, even with that rise in income. So you'll always see that corresponding increase in expenses unless we fight against it and we really make up our mind to be very intentional about saving first. So Parkinson's law is the reason why people who make more money still feel just as strapped as before. We need to overcome that in order to save. The other is the law of the vacuum. And this is that nature abhors a vacuum. It will always fill the vacuum. This is with our money. It's with our time. We always think, well, if I just carve out 10 extra minutes, then I'll feel more relaxed. Well, we always find a way to fill up those 10 extra minutes, don't we? So, (laughs) so In both cases, we need to realize that these forces are at work against us building savings. Yeah, I I found, Rachel, that my what I would call successful clients, ones that have already, they come to me for advice and and guidance, they already have good habits. Um, And it's amazing because you will talk to them about different strategies and principles that uh, to transfer their money to other vehicles, they, they're not necessarily talking about hitting home runs and they don't have to hit home runs because they have actually overcome Parkinson's law by, by actually paying themselves first and not having, the, um, when, they, when they come into more money, whether it's a raise or a bonus or increase business opportunities, business is doing um, better. so. They, uh, they actually have more cash flow. They actually have a systematic way of, of placing that money somewhere. Uh, kind of a funny thing, I just watched the Christmas vacation with uh, Chevy Chase this past weekend. Mm-hmm. And if our listeners can remember, you know, he was stressing out the entire time because he had written a check for a pool uh, for his backyard because he was anticipating his yearly bonus that he was getting. And so his yearly <laughs> bonus was not going to systematically go into savings. It was going to go to a pool and just disappear. Now, I'm not saying we should just live our lives, you know, without any enjoyment. But uh, in that case, a systematic way would have been maybe to say, hey, I normally save between tw- 10 and 20% of my 
regular cash flow, so I should be saving 10 to 20% of my bonus cash flow too, whether it's a per- personal Absolutely. economy or whether it's a, a business economy. So, and then, and then as a uh, ex-science uh, teacher, I, I really understand the law of vacuum, and I bet the listeners do too. They know our time is filled with something, and in nature, the, a vacuum is always quickly, it's most quickly filled thing um, in nature. Um, the vacuums come slamming shut. The way to overcome this is a mindset, and I call it cash flow awareness, uh, where you track your money. I don't like to use the word budget. Budget, I think, is a scarcity mindset. I want you to think of um, a budget as, or people think about budget as doing something and putting your money so that you can't have something. But if you if you frame it in a in a way that's it's an awareness of where your money's flowing, what you're really trying to to do is figure out um, what you can have and what's important to you. Well, if you're flowing your money to your opportunity funds or to your savings, your emergency savings fund, that's great. But if you don't track it, then it doesn't become real to you. So we don't have to go real deep in this. We will talk about this in another episode, but I know you track your money. I track my money at least once a month. I check my accounts every day because of potential fraud that's going in. Um, and so I think that's a good habit for people to get in. Um, at that time, I think really when you have an awareness, it actually is a point of, of freedom in a person's life. Absolutely. And so then the point of tracking your money is not to focus and worry and be fixated on how much is being spent but really because we want to do what exactly Bruce said the habits of the successful people he's worked with are is to pay yourself first. Now, this is a principle that goes way, way back to even a book called The Richest Man in Babylon, but this idea that a portion of all you earn is yours to keep. This is paying yourself first. And what we're wanting to do is not spend our money as needed and then save what happens to maybe be left over at the end We want to have automated savings that we're paying ourselves first off the top and then spending the rest. And the way to get to that habit is to first look at what's going on with your current savings, how much can you save, finding that amount, and then being able to put that aside before you save or before you Mm -hmm. spend. Warren Buffett then said, do not save what's left after spending, but spend what's left after saving. So it's that same principle. How can we prioritize the savings? And then having a portion of your income that you automatically save, you can spend the rest guilt-free. It's not that concern or frustration about having overspent. You can be completely guilt-free and spending all that money that's yours to spend now. Yeah, and I and I don't want to I don't want our listeners to tune out right now and think, well, this is kind of simple. Of course, this makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, but what's hard, just like your preparation and barrel racing is the preparation and the mindset. So mm-hmm. really you have to, you have to continually hear these kind of things and talk about them, whether it's with your spouse, your friend, your business partner, your family, constantly reinforcing these concepts over and over and over because people see wealthy people and they often think, oh, that, that, they just got lucky. Well, what's in, interesting, mm-hmm. the reason they got lucky is they prior to, prioritize 
increasing their net, you know, investable income over maximizing returns. They're really trying to say, hey, for every dollar that I can save, that's another dollar that I don't have to take risk and try to actually get a gain over here. And by spending less of your, uh, less of a percentage of your net income, whatever, ha- what happens is you have an opportunity on that, that it continues to grow. So you actually are saving more of that growth and it, you're, you're actually increasing your savings. Now, once again, that used to be a lot easier uh, before the banking meltdown because uh, the, our savings accounts and CD and our fixed income accounts would pay a lot more. Um, but increasing automatic savings um, as your income increases in a business is in, in a really great way to uh, maximize opportunities in the future. And I do prescribe to the idea that you should reinvest into your business. But every time I talk to an entrepreneur is when you're, in, when you're actually taking that savings or that increased cash flow and reinvesting into your business, are you going to get direct increase of cash flow from that investment? So here, I'll just give a quick example to our listeners. So if somebody is in a, um, uh, an office space and that office space is actually functional to your particular business be- because all you're trying to do is you're not a retail place. People aren't coming to your office. You're just running your operations out of your office. And suddenly you have a great year and you're sitting on more cash flow, you're sitting on uh, more savings, and you think, hey, I deserve to, to actually get into a nicer office. Well, that nicer office is probably not going to increase your cash flow. And so it might make you feel better. Now, if making you feel better actually makes you more productive, then go for it. But if it, if it doesn't make you feel better, um, or if that making you feel better doesn't increase your cash flow, you shouldn't. You shouldn't uh, take your net your net increase and actually try to spend, spend it. it. Yeah, uh, one, of, yeah. one of the most successful uh, contractors I know in the St. Louis area. He's a commercial contractor. Um, he actually runs his entire business out of his office. And then I know some a thirty two year old couple that are in the electrical contracting business. And they don't. They didn't even have positive cash flow, and they decided to go lease a building for fifteen hundred dollars a month and go buy several trucks. and And I asked them why, and they said, "Well, we want to be seen as a successful business, so we felt like people wouldn't take us seriously unless we did this." And and mm-hmm. I said, "Well, you know, I understand that, but we really should have worked on uh, cash flow before we have done that." So. <laughs> That's one of the places where fake it till you make it does not really work out for you because you end up spending all the money in order to fake it and it doesn't it's not really building the true preparation exactly that you right. want in your personal exactly life. Right. So yes, the whole purpose then is to say as I increase my income, how can I continually have maybe it's a 20% rule that you have set in your life or 30% rule. I save this 30% of my income. Well, as your income increases, that percentage if the percentage stays the same, it's actually a higher yes. dollar amount with going to savings. And that, as you're building your savings, what we're going to transition to is talking about your savings as an emergency and an opportunity fund. So the more money that you have in that savings account or wherever you're storing that capital, now you have more money to be able to put into investments. That's your net investable income. And so 
let's take a look at what this looks like in real life. So we're going to kind of go through this quickly, but how to, sorry, Bruce. Yeah, um, let's just talk, just, about, let's quick... just talk about these steps and, and we, and people will come away from this podcast and say, well, a lot of this stuff we talk about is theory, but here are the steps and we're just going to quickly go over them. So, so awesome. cash on hand, we believe that you should keep one to two months of expenses in small bills in your house, maybe some of it in a commodity such as silver or gold, but keep it in your house uh, so that it is readily available for you right now, uh, up to one to two months uh, expenses. And this is primarily Absolutely. used for emergencies, such as maybe you, maybe we have a um, uh, electronic meltdown in our in our United States system. We cannot use our ATM. They cannot use credit cards, so on and so forth. But we believe this. So once you have something that you can access almost immediately, instantly, we want to then be thinking about in our personal economy that whole principle of pay yourself first. How can you look at what amount of your monthly income do you feel comfortable today setting aside? And what we're going to do is set up an automatic transfer from that checking account to a savings account. Now, I call this a sweep account. The reason is that you're sweeping funds off the top from your income that's in your checking account. You're putting that automatically into savings. So this might be 5% or 10% if that's where you can start today. But automatically transfer that. That means you don't have to think about it. It's going to automatically happen. It also means you don't get to the end of the month and then wonder, oh man, you know, I really had 300 that I was going to set aside for savings, but I kind of spent that. So now I'm only setting aside 50 bucks for savings this month. We want to make it automatic. And then you can continually ratchet that up as you feel more comfortable. So that's going to be your sweep account. You want to have this money be easy to get to and easy to get the money out. So we still have it in a savings account. You can easily access it through the bank, through your ATM. You could transfer it back to checking if you needed to. Now, this is still primarily going to be money that you could use for emergencies. So we want to make sure that you have accessibility. So we're talking about first having some cash on hand in your house, and then we're talking about having a savings account that you can quickly access as well. Yeah. Uh, and what I call this, Rachel, is I call this a ceiling and a floor in your emergency fund. So you ought to feel like, what do I feel um, is the amount of money that I need to have in an emergency floor account uh, where you're going to keep six to 12 months of, of expenses for emergency reserve that you really never touch. So that's your floor. And uh, that way, if something happens, you get transferred, there's an illness, you lose your job, uh, business um, through no fault of your own, uh, something happens to it, um, that you actually have uh, reserves. And in 2008, 2009, when we had uh, tremendous unemployment and we had a lot of businesses that were really hurting, uh, sometimes that, those uh, six to 12 months wasn't quite enough. Uh, so really, you need to have a minimum of six to 12 months of an emergency fund to actually sustain your business and sustain your personal economy. Absolutely. And kind of as you were talking to, with me about the way you explain that floor is kind of what do you feel comfortable with in your bank account that you don't want to go below? Now for you, that might be $5,000. For another person, it might be $100,000 that they feel 
anxious if their account drops below that amount. So we want to make sure we have whatever that is. Now that probably is going to equate to somewhere in the ballpark of six to 12 months worth of your monthly expenses. But these can both be two different guides that you use to arrive at how much you want to have in easily accessible 15 minute money that you could get to through the bank or in your house. So then after we have that emergency fund set up that we can readily access, what we want to look at is we want to continue building savings. So again, if we look at the habit of the wealthy to pay ourselves first, we don't want to stop that once we've built whatever we feel comfortable with in terms of savings. In an emergency fund, we want to continue to save. And that, again, is moving money and increasing your net investable income. That is building what we call an opportunity fund. This is money that you can look to. It's safe. It's liquid and it's accessible and it's growing. It has the ability to be able to use it to put into your business or put into an investment that you can seize very quickly. And so the goal of that is to maximize your stewardship and find the best and most productive use of that money. But even if you don't today know exactly what investment you're going to put that into, building that habit and discipline of continuing to save so that you have the capital available when the opportunity arises is exactly what's going to make you successful. So there's no limit. There's no ceiling on what the maximum you can put in an opportunity fund is. If you had a million dollars in savings, you can still continue to save. There's no top that we cap out at and and say enough is enough of savings. Savings is something you can continually always build. Yeah. Yeah. A real important part about that is you shouldn't say, well, I'm going to save my opportunity fund up to $100,000 or tenth out, whatever it is, and then I'm going to go look for opportunities. Because uh, then you may make some poor choices by saying, I have to get this money working for me uh, uh, at a certain mm-hmm. amount. Well, we're, well, I think you're saying, Rachel, is, is that w- when you people have cash on hand, opportunities just seem to find cash. Yes. Yes. And even Seneca a uh, Roman philosopher said that. He said, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. So again, we look at people that we think, oh, they were just lucky because they were able to get on in on this particular deal. Well, they had two things going on. First, they understood the opportunity they got into. Secondarily, they had the cash to be able to invest in that opportunity at that time. And then the after effect is we look at it, that and say, well, it looks like it was lucky. Mm-hmm. But really, it was the preparation that allowed them to do yes. that. And and finally, you know, we think... That, uh, one or two or three, maybe all of your savings accounts can be um, used in and stored into specially designed whole life insurance contracts. Uh, we're big believers that there's safety and liquidity in this, and it also provides protection for the business owner, either in a key man insurance way or a uh, buyout, buy-sell agreement situation, and in a person's personal economy. It's a way to keep the opportunity cost minimal because your money can continue to grow. And and by the way, it's safer than the uh, money that's in a bank because of the way that money is actually in a bank is actually um, uh, leveraged so highly. And we'll talk about that in another podcast. But it's just a more efficient place that we have found to store cash. uh, cash, And that's one of our future episodes we're going to talk about. Yes. And so what we're looking at when we talk about specially designed life insurance 
is a lot of times we hear this concern from people to say, well, I don't want to save so much because any savings that I put aside is getting no return. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've thought that before, or maybe you've heard it before in your personal life as well. And and when savings only earns 0.0% in a savings account, it seems like it's not actually working for us. There's a lot of reasons to have that liquidity available to us. And we also want to say, how can we put this into the most efficient and most effective place to store it, maybe with a better return, easier access, more liquidity, more safety, more growth. And so those are some of the reasons why specially designed life insurance is a very wonderful tool for that emergency opportunity fund, which yes, we will be getting into in future episodes. Mm -hmm. But this whole point is to build yourself into a position where you have cash on hand, you have emergency opportunity or emergency funds that you can access if you lost your income or you had an unforeseen expense arise that you just could not have prepared for and is not part of your normal monthly cash flow awareness, your normal monthly budgeting. And then on top of that, we want to continue to have that savings into that sweep account. We want to be saving a portion of our money every single month before we spend it and building this opportunity fund to take advantage of opportunities. Yeah. So the action we'd like for people to take today listening is uh, to really try to figure out and determine the realistic amount that they should be saving. We believe it should be a minimum of 10%, but we think the goal should be more like 20 to 30% of your monthly income. But we want people just to start. We want some action. Uh, Business owners um, should be putting money aside for future opportunities and future um, emergencies such as downturn in the economy or emergencies that pop up into a business. We think we, just in conclusion, we want you to do this by setting up automatic savings into a sweep account. Pay yourself first. Calculate monthly expenses um, and then have a have a, an emergency fund of uh, six times or 12 times of those monthly expenses for your emergency fund. Uh, target a date to hit your emergency goal. Just because you, we say to put 10, 20, 30% away doesn't mean you can't have months where a business does really well and you go ahead and put more of that money away and hit your emergency goal sooner. Uh, oftentimes I see uh, business owners that are, they have a really good month and they decide, hey, I've, I've been working hard, so I'm just going to spend all this extra money that I earned this month. And we think that's a dangerous mindset to get into. And then finally, if, if you have an emergency fund established, uh, that's the first one fund. And then you're going to start building your opportunity fund as a business owner to either expand for things that are going to get additional cash flow. Remember, we're not just expanding for the sake of expanding. We're going to expand for additional cash flow, or you're going to actually scan, uh, um, build this opportunity fund to buy additional businesses, whether it's additional businesses in your particular a field of endeavor or uh, businesses outside of your field of endeavor. So those are the actions, Rachel, I think we want people to take away from the podcast. Absolutely. And one point of clarification that is coming into my mind as we're sharing this, you can absolutely build an emergency opportunity fund in your business and one in your personal economy. And it should be that way. So if you're looking at your overall business revenue, be setting aside a portion of that. So you're storing cash in your business for emergencies and opportunities. Then of the portion that you're paying to yourself, whether it's through W-2 income or through dividends or however you're paying yourself 
from your business, then make sure that you are also having a personal habit in your own personal economy that you're setting up that emergency and opportunity fund. So this is applicable in both cases on both yes, sides. That's, that, that brings the point I, at the beginning of the podcast is that your business economy and your personal economy do overlap and they should overlap. Absolutely. So if you would like to request a free financial picture consultation, we will help you discover dollars that are flowing out of your control so that you can strategize more ways to get dollars flowing back into your control. So you have more to retain and utilize and more to pass on to future generations. This is really the starting point of being able to save more. Looking at your personal economy and saying, how can I get more of the dollars that I'm already making flowing back into my control so I can decide what I want to do with them so I can build this emergency and opportunity fund. So again, special thanks to you, our listeners. Up next, we're going to be defining and differentiating between savings and investing and using and talking about the accounts to maximize both. So until then, success leaves clues. Model the successful few, not the struggling crowd, and build a life and business you love. To learn how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash, go to themoneyadvantage.com forward slash liquid dash capital to get The Unfair Advantage, your 20-minute easy-to-read guide on maximizing your savings. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.